You may be seated, and good day to you. Oh, thanks, that was nice. No one said good day to me in the 9 o'clock, so you guys are way better than that. Um, it's, really, uh, it's really great to be with you today and to kick off uh, this series, uh, Nine Conversations, and uh, it's aptly named. Uh, we'll be looking at nine uh, interactions that, that Jesus had, and, um, and I'll be, uh, I'll be uh, leading us through an interaction that Jesus had uh, that we read about in Luke chapter 17. And you can follow along, uh, of course, in your Bible if you would like, uh, or, on, or, or on your bulletin. But I'll be reading uh, Luke 17, uh, starting at verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. This is God's word. So when, uh, when we're building uh, this, uh, this series and the idea of it, um, we, we kind of developed a list of here's, you know, uh, a lot of the interactions that Jesus had, some of them uh, the, the lesser um, talked about, lesser taught on. And, uh, and when the list started to circulate, uh, people you know, on staff, including myself, were asked to put their names on ones they would be interested in, in speaking on. And uh, I had just come back. Uh, from traveling uh, to India with my friend Macon, who's, uh, who's in the room with us this morning, and just a wonderful guy to travel with if you ever get the opportunity. Uh, he's incredibly courageous uh, when it comes to street food, and so you know, we, you, you'll be walking and you'll be like, I'm not sure this is food, and he'd be like, well, bite it and find out. And, uh, and so we, we ate some things that were just really interesting. One of the things uh, that, that we had while we were there was this like hollow pastry that you'd pay, I don't know, not much for, and the person serving would crack a hole in it, uh, kind of like an egg, uh, but it was hollow on the inside, dump some mysterious liquid in it, and then you had to pop it into your mouth before it all just dissolved uh, in your hands. And people would down these, you know, one after another. Uh, nothing that you should try, uh, and, and we tried them, and they were very interesting. But we, we were going, uh, Macon and I and some, and some other friends, uh, were going to, to northern India to just look and understand uh, what, uh, what these worldviews of these other major world religions look like uh, lived out. And Northern India has, or India has the second largest uh, Muslim population in the world. It's of course uh, the, the home of Hinduism, and then in Northern India are also two of the three major pilgrimage sites uh, for, for Buddhists. And so we're able in a, in a short period of time uh, to get access to and a glimpse into uh, these um, these uh, other religious worldviews, as well as as just a fascinating kind of crash course in in Indian culture. And one morning, uh, when um, when we were uh, getting ready to go out for the day, I was sitting down in the lobby, had a few of the hotel we were in, had a few extra minutes, and and st started reading the magazine that was on the coffee table. And there's this article, kind of midway uh, in the newspaper, that uh, that really caught my attention. And the the basic 
storyline was uh, there's a there's a woman who is murdered by another woman and her son, um, and the offense that in their mind warranted uh, their their killing of her was that she had accidentally touched their trash bin, and she was of a lower caste, and they were deeply offended that someone who they considered uh, dirty and untouchable would, would 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 deign to touch even their trash can, and they're so offended that they killed her, and the, and the article was kind of exploring whether or not uh, this was a justifiable um, killing or not, and, uh, and of course it stood out to me, because I was like, it seems not. Uh, but as I, as I asked about it, uh, and, and asked our, our translator who is, um, was also Indian and had some insight into it, um, he, he shed some light on, uh, on how prevalent the caste system is in India. And the caste system basically works like this, if you're of a higher caste, uh, you're better than everyone else. If you're of a lower caste, uh, then you're worse than everyone else. And if you're, uh, if you're not, if you don't even rise to the level of being in a caste, if you're an outcast, uh, the, then then you're the worst, of the worst. And those, and especially in the rural areas, these lines are are very well known, very clearly drawn, um, and uh, uh, and it affects every part of your life. And so, as I kind of understood this and absorbed this. Um, and, and as I was having conversations with my friends I was traveling with about what would it take to bring the gospel um, to a place like this, I, I kept thinking to myself, I would start with, with, with the lowest of the low in, in, in this culture, in this society, and the people who are least likely uh, to have the worldview that they're in feel like it's working for them. And for the outcast and for the undercast, um, there's, there's nothing in their life uh, that says, this is going to work out all right for you. Everything is working against them. And if you, want, if you want to find a place that needs hope, you go to those places and you bring the hope of the gospel. So I was thinking about this and thinking about it uh, and, uh, as I returned. And so when I, when I, when I got this passage uh, as an opportunity, um, I was really excited about it. Because for the men in, in this passage in Luke 17, they, in their context, were, um, were completely on the outside. Um, first of all, they were, they, were, they were lepers. And so that meant... Uh, in, in Jewish society and, and, and culture, they were untouchable, they were unclean, uh, they were considered dirty, and they had to keep a distance uh, from, from, from people. They couldn't live in the village, they had to cry unclean if, if they were around other people, so people would know that they were unacceptable, that they were dirty, that they were untouchable. And, uh, and you see this when they, when they approach Jesus, they approach to a point and then from a distance ask for his help because they were not allowed um, to be close to others. And then you have this one interesting character who's not only unclean uh, physically, but he is also, in the mind uh, of the Jewish people, completely unclean and unacceptable um, spiritually as well. And this is the Samaritan um, in the story. And there's a long and sordid history uh, between the, the Jewish people and the, and the Sumerians, and it goes back to uh, when the Jewish people were exiled uh, they, um, during the Assyrian Empire. Um, you know, the, 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 they, they were kicked out, and then the land, in particular Samaria, was repopulated with foreigners from other countries. And for the Jewish people, this was, this was offensive at every level. Um, because their, their promised land on which, you know, uh, the, the Abrahamic covenant uh, was a part of, you know, the promised land was now filled with foreigners. And, and, and this promise that God had made to Abraham that I'll, I'll say, I'll, I'm going to make you 
a special people set apart um, to be a blessing for all the nations had grown over time to be we're a special people set apart and actually we're a special people uh, set above. And so the singularity of the Jewish culture and, and their connection to their homeland uh, was, uh, was insulted um, by the very fact that Sumerians were there who were foreigners living in their land with what they considered a corrupted uh, Jewish religion. So I'm going to show a map real quick of, of how it played out. So Jesus is from Galilee. Um, in this text, uh, he's heading to Jerusalem. And he's taken the, the common route uh, that, that people would take um, from, from the north to get to the south, which was uh, to go as far as the border of Samaria uh, and then to actually go and cross the Jordan River to the east and, uh, and go down further south and cross back over uh, to go to Jerusalem, thereby avoiding Samaria altogether. Because again, for the Jewish people, um, everything uh, about the Samaritans was, was offensive uh, to their worldview. And so this is the context there when Jesus is taking the normal uh, route of, of travel when, uh, when this happens and he, encounters, uh, and he encounters these men. The, uh, as, as I thought about both my experience in, uh, in India and, and considering uh, those who are just automatically institutionally uh, on the outside and, and what it must have been like um, for, for these lepers and the Samaritan in particular and trying to think about what are the, what are the modern uh, equivalents that we have in our world. Who are the people who are automatically and institutionally on the outside? And you could probably look at, uh, at, at poverty as being a contributor um, to, to that dynamic and folks. Um, folks who come in uh, as, uh, as refugees and have been ripped from, from their families uh, and resettled in, in a land that's not their own, uh, there's certainly challenges that they face. The, the, the context that most immediately resonated with me uh, was our, our work in the 33rd Street Jail in Orange County. Um, if you don't know where Summit has a campus uh, of our church in the Orange County Jail, and I've had the privilege of, of leading our volunteer team um, there for the last year and have we been in the jail for, uh, for a little over six years. Um, and we have an incredible volunteer team. And when we go in, we don't go in saying we are, you know, Summit Church here to serve you. But we're actually going in and inviting the men and women in, in 33rd Street uh, to be full participants in, in this church family. And reminding them that their life isn't on hold in mattering to God. And that they're not on hold um, in being used by him exactly where they are. And as I've gotten to know the guys, and in some cases the women um, in, in 33rd over the years, I have, a, I have a deep empathy for the challenges uh, that they face when they get out. And we knew statistically when we started going into the jail that for, for an inmate uh, upon release, uh, the odds are stacked against them significantly, exponentially beyond um, everyone else. They, they have basically 72 hours, and this is like proven statistics, they have 72 hours from when they get released to get some sort of critical life stability and if that doesn't happen in the first 72 hours, it's like 98% chance that they'll be reincarcerated in the next six months. And so, so they're having these incredible challenges. And the reason the odds are so stacked against them is uh, oftentimes what brought them into jail um, are things like you know, addiction and crimes and things that, that are on their record now um, when they get out. Oftentimes them being arrested, again, uh, leads, like, leads to more brokenness in, in their relationships. There are fewer people uh, who are rooting for them. Uh, if, if, they're, if they're in a homeless or, or unstable homing situ home situation before, oftentimes they don't have a place to go to. Many times they don't have uh, ID or access to the basic things uh, that you need to get social services. 
Uh, and then if they are exiting the jail with a criminal record, then, uh, then the likelihood of getting a job is, is almost impossible. So you have people who everything, everything in their circumstances when they get out of the jail is saying, you, like, you, it's, you, you, you have nothing good um, to expect from your circumstances. Um, there's no good that can come from this. It is a hopeless situation, and they have to figure out how to live in the context of that. Our hope in being the church with them while they're in the jail is that God will, will, will pave a new path for them uh, that will have us as, as part of their church family when they get out. And that connection and, that, uh, and the work that goes around that, that we can help bring stability um, through, through relationship in the jail and that will carry through to the outside. It's a tough road, um, but, uh, but when I think about wh- who in our, in our world has the odds most stacked against them, my heart uh, goes out to, to the men and women who, um, who we get to serve alongside in 33rd. So for those who, who the world isn't working for them, they're on the losing end of the equation, however you, however you balance that out, whether you know, in, in this context, in the Indian context I was telling you about, um, or, or in our day and age, the, 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 the question is, what is really, for us today, what does gratitude have to do with that? Because the turning point in this passage isn't that there were people on the outside. That was like, that had been made clear in, you know, in any number of other stories um, in Luke. Luke includes this passage for a reason. And the turning point in this passage isn't uh, simply that Jesus healed people who were sick. That he healed a foreigner, which was challenging and stretching for the Jewish people in general. Um, but the turning point was that someone came back and said, thank you. And Jesus is like surprised about it. He's like... Look at this, 10 were healed, but one came back and said, thank you, why, why did only one come back? And it, and it stands out as this very noteworthy thing. And gratitude can be an easy thing uh, to underestimate. I mean, we can look at gratitude as like, well, you say thank you, and that's polite and common courtesy, and, and, and it doesn't go beyond that. But I believe the implications of cultivating gratitude in our lives, the implications of recognizing what we have to be grateful for, and ultimately, whom we have to be grateful to, affect not only our lives, but they certainly affect our relationship uh, with Christ and understanding of what it means uh, to be saved. And I believe it also impacts our ability to see the world as Jesus does and to go boldly into those places where no one else will go, where the circumstances are just too difficult or too distasteful and, uh, and to be a conduit of God's light and love to the world around us. I read uh, in a commentary this week, it said, we're inclined to think of ingratitude is a relatively minor sin, but in fact, it is one of the worst sins in the Bible. And I wasn't sure I agreed with that uh, immediately. Um, in fact, it's one of the worst sins in the Bible. But if you think about it, if you play it forward, gratitude puts us in a position of recognizing that, that we have a need, that we don't have everything in and of ourselves that we need. Gratitude recognizing that it recognizes that something good in our lives got there because of someone else. Gratitude, when we cultivate gratitude, is an affront to pride, to self-reliance, to independence. Gratitude challenges the lie that was told in the very first sin. In the garden when the serpent said uh, to, to Adam and Eve, you do, like God's holding out on you and you can get what you need without having to be dependent on him. That lie that says you can, you can have everything that you need within yourself. When we cultivate gratitude, 
we, we've, we cultivate the habit of remembering that we don't have everything we need and there's been good in our lives that is to credit, uh, that is to someone else's credits and ultimately to God's credit. And it can be hard. I mean, gratitude seems like an easy thing. We're taught, you know, when we're young to say please and thank you. Um, and but, but the reality is gratitude can be a really challenging thing. And when Brandy and I first uh, became parents, uh, we, you know, we, we said, you know, we want the most oft heard phrase in our house uh, to be I love you. And I think we've done a pretty good uh, job with that, at least for our part. Um, but maybe the second or third most oft heard phrase is, can you say thank you? Please say thank you. Say thank you. Don't forget to say thank you. And it's not because our kids are horrible. They're actually wonderful. But there's that, uh, there's that impulse that we all have to just to, to take the things that, that are given to us, to take the things that, that we benefit from, um, and to take them as a matter of a fact or right or, or entitlement, and to forget uh, to cultivate hearts of gratitude. And, and, and again, gratitude in the little things is easy. I think gratitude in the big things can be even more challenging. Met a woman uh, the other day, met with a woman the other day who her, her children were considering uh, getting baptized uh, last weekend. And, and so we were talking about it. She's really young in her faith. And it's a really wonderful thing uh, to talk with her because she's got like these really amazing questions and tensions in her life. Uh, and one of the things she said, she says, I, I recognize salvation, the need for salvation. She's like, I'm okay with the idea of salvation. She's like, but I have a really hard time with the idea of a savior. In other words, I have a really hard time with, with there being someone else to, who I'm beholden to um, for, for, for my salvation. She said, it's a struggle for me, and some of it is messaging that she got when she was young um, and, uh, and uh, that, that has kind of corrupted her view of a savior. But she, said, but she said, I have a hard time with the idea of a savior, and I kind of get it. I mean, if we admit it, if we're honest with ourselves, we have a hard time admitting that we need something beyond ourselves, that we need others ultimately, that we need Jesus. Gratitude acknowledges that we have a debt. And there are things uh, that, that, that can rob us of our gratitude that just make us blind to it. I think oftentimes our, our lack of gratitude isn't something intentional uh, that we cultivate, but that it's something uh, that happens because we just leave room um, for gratitude robbers in our life. I think the first is uh, we just we miss out on what we've been given. We miss out on what we have uh, to be grateful for. And that can, that can be because we don't see it. Uh, we just don't recognize it. We've gotten used to it. Um, or it can be because uh, we don't want it. The thing, that, the thing that is good in our life, we don't, uh, we don't want, and so we don't cultivate uh, gratitude for it. Brandy and I recently were talking with one of our sons and I, I grew up uh, out in the country and uh, and I loved it and uh, you know, I had room to roam and trees to climb and all of that and uh, and since we've moved to Florida um, I've you know been a suburban and Brandy and I have lived in this uh, in this wonderful house for 12 years or so now and we I mean no 15 years it really has been a tremendous a blessing in our lives, but there's been that part of me that has wanted like the house out in the country, the farmland, the the room to roam, all of that, and wanted that. I mean, I'd say for my kids, but really for me, uh, and then I just placed that expectation on the kids. But a couple of the kids have kind of latched onto that, and so one of our sons was asking um, the other day, why, like, why don't we just do it? Why don't we just get rid of this house and and do that? And and of course, there's lots of reasons why we wouldn't do it. But Brandy and I were, you know, we're sitting on our bed talking with him, and we started going through all of the reasons, all of the ways that God has brought blessing 
into our lives in this house. Um, the, the fact that someone was willing to rent it to us before we bought it uh, for the price of our ghetto, super dangerous uh, apartment, and uh, and uh, and the, the fact that we eventually were able to buy it for a price that was well under market value. That like th there's so many things that God has done in and through that house to be a blessing in our lives. Summit's first partnership class uh, was in our living room. It was the church offices in the early days. Uh, we were able, it was big enough that we were able to bring uh, my sister and her family there so they could save up for a down payment and escape the same ghetto neighborhood that, that we've been in. And like, there's just so much good that God had done. As we sat there and kind of listed all the things uh, that God had done um, through this material thing, to bring blessing in our lives, we, we were just overwhelmed uh, with, with, with gratitude for what God had done. And we left that conversation being like, we'll, we'll move if God ever wants us to, but we're certainly not going to covet something else that's not nearly as rich and proven blessing as what God has done in this. That's a simple and circumstantial thing, and we're grateful for it. Uh, ultimately, um, cultivating gratitude leads us uh, to be grateful not only for uh, for the, the circumstantial blessings in our lives, but also in the relationships that God has given us and ultimately spiritually as well. But we can miss out on that uh, if, we, if, we, if we either don't see the blessing that we've been given or if we don't want it. I think the second a gratitude robber is believing we're owed or entitled what we've been given. That the things that we have that, 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 we are, that, that God intends us to be grateful for, uh, that, that, that we believe they're ours by right. And, and, and all of us are, are subject to this in some areas of our lives, I think. I was reminded of this um, a few months ago. Uh, my father-in-law, who's a wonderful man, uh, gave, gave Brandy a, um, a van that was like, 50 times better uh, than, uh, than our existing van that she'd been driving around and, and, uh, and just gave it. It was a gift. It was wonderful. It was easy to be grateful for that. We were so grateful for that. Um, but it left us kind of with, uh, with what I felt like was an extra vehicle. And so then I started thinking, well, what should we do with this extra vehicle? And Brandy and I weren't quite coming to terms on what we should do with that. And, and, and I was really uh, mostly internally uh, distraught about feeling like we, you know, we, we have this thing, like this new thing, and it's wonderful, and maybe we can do something with this other van, which is, you know, significantly worse, but it could still be, you know, a blessing for someone, I don't know. And so, so I, I had this inten internal tension for a while, and, uh, and then Brandy and I were at uh, this weekend retreat called Journey of Generosity, and it's basically just uh, an opportunity to sit with other people and talk about what would it look like for us to be uh, generous with, with what God has given us stewardship over. And so there, in one of the devotional times with this, of course, this tension about the van and feeling like we should be generous uh, with this just as, uh, as we had been recipients of someone else's generosity, it all came to mind. And God very quickly and very clearly asked me about my truck uh, and why I wasn't offering that up uh, to, to be given. Now, my truck, I love. Uh, my, it's a 1966 Ford F100 that doesn't have air conditioning. It rattles like crazy. If you go over 55, like it shakes your teeth out. It's everything you would want in a truck. I mean, it's awesome, and I've had it for I've had it for like 12 years now. And 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 in that moment, I realized, oh my goodness, I had never in all of this like figuring on on what we could do with this with this extra vehicle never once considered that my truck, which is by far the least practical of our vehicles, would be something that God uh, w w would ask of for me to use and, and be a blessing in someone else's life. And I repented of that immediately uh, and, uh, and was so humbled that this thing that I had originally received as a blessing now felt, now I, I like felt like it was an entitlement. 
something that I was owed, something that, that I would not be willing to surrender. And I'd forgotten that if God ever asks anything of us, he always has something better for us in return. So I surrendered it. I, I gave it up to God. Uh, it's in constant jeopardy now because I made a deal with God, and uh, that that if you know these certain factors were met, that I would that I would uh, that it would disappear. And so it makes me grateful every day uh, for my truck. Now it's a silly circumstantial example, but again, the things um, that that we may feel we're owed or entitled in in the material world, in relationships, um, can also affect uh, our spiritual worldview and the way that we see others as well. Because if we have by right the good things in our life, it might be that someone else has by right the negative things in life. And that's part of what was, uh, was so dis- disturbing about the, the caste system as I saw it. Because I, as I began to ask about it and, and understand it, you know, the, the caste system is basically in place uh, in, in this karmic idea of you get, you know, you get what you deserve. If you do good, you get good. If you do bad, you get bad. And so as I asked, like, how in the world would anyone think it's okay to murder someone for touching the trash bin? Well, in, in, in the worldview um, that, that, that we were walking in, there's, you know, the, 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 the people who are upper caste got there because they earned it or their previous selves in a previous incarnation earned it, and, and they're living the benefit of that. But that has been well-deserved, and people who are, who are undercast or outcast are living what they deserve as well. And in some ways, abusing those who are lower than you is providing for them the same karmic justice uh, that, that you feel like you've earned in, uh, on your side of the equation. And, and as, I, as, I, as I took that in, I was just like, I'm so grateful for Jesus. I'm so grateful I don't have to win the battle of did I do good enough? Am I better enough? It, it is, uh, it, are, are, the, are the scales balanced in my favor? Because for me, for you, for, for, uh, for people of any caste in India, for, for this Samaritan foreigner who's, who's ill, for, for all of us, like there's no winning when it comes to balancing the scales. We all are in debt. We've all been offered freely the grace of the gospel. The fact that Jesus did everything that ever needs to be done for us to be right with him. And that we live in the benefit of that every day. Last week when we were out at the, um, out at the beach, I mean, it was, a, it was a wonderful day like OJ said, and, and every bit of it was wonderful, including I, I got to ride out in my truck with two of my boys and my arm out the window and I had like truck tan uh, on my left arm, which is awesome. And uh, it was just, and, and we're there and, uh, and I got to be a part of the baptisms, which was, uh, you know, it was always touching. But there's this one moment where we were, um, this woman came out, she's a middle-aged woman and, um, and she was answering the questions, which the questions that, that you get asked when you're baptized are around, who do you, do you recognize that Jesus is the son of God? Do you recognize all that he's done for you and, and, and for your salvation and the forgiveness of sins? And then is it your intention to follow him all the days of your life? And the correct answer for all those questions is yes. And so we get to the middle question, and uh, the one about recognizing all that Jesus has done for you. And she said yes, and then she said, and I'm grateful for it. And she said it, she said it with, with such profound clarity that everything you needed to know about this woman was communicated in that simple phrase. She said it as someone who knew exactly what they had to be grateful for. Knew exactly what it's like to live life outside uh, of the gospel of grace. 
knew exactly what her best efforts and, and her best attempts at life had gotten her. And the pain that it brought in her life and the pain that it had brought in other lives. And she knew exactly how much she needed grace. She was grateful for it. And I was caught off guard in that because it was such a beautiful and simple thing. It's such a, an amazing reminder that for all of us, we have so much to be grateful for in the Lord. We've been given more than we could ever imagine, certainly more than we deserve. In Christ, everything we ever needed was done for us. There's nothing that sets us above anyone else, and the only thing that sets us apart is the gift that we've been given. And gratitude is an essential discipline in recognizing that, in recognizing that reality and rejecting pride and having hearts that are tender towards others. Because if every good thing in our life is a gift of God, then we, have no, then we have nothing to hold over and against someone else. We can see with Jesus' eyes and, and, and have hearts that are tender towards those um, for whom circumstances and life and, and, uh, and reality is different. We can see the, the challenges they face, the obstacles in their life, not as, not a, not as uh, something that they've deserved any more than we do that we all equally stand at the foot of the cross. And we equally have access to the grace of the gospel. So my challenge to us, my challenge to me, my challenge to you, is to recognize that gra- the import- what's at stake with gratitude isn't just please and thank you. It isn't just courtesy towards, the good, towards those who do good in our lives and ultimately towards our Savior. Gratitude shapes our hearts. It shapes how we view the world. It shapes how we interact with other people. It gives us the opportunity to see the world as Jesus sees it. When that man uh, went back and, uh, and expressed gratitude towards Jesus, Jesus sent him away with the, with the words, your faith has healed you. The Samaritan woman, the person who was doubly outcast, left, away, left that interaction with Jesus doubly blessed. They've been healed physically and they've been healed spiritually as well. Jesus took that act of faith, that, and it wasn't the amount of faith, it was the object of the faith. The one in whom you have put your faith has healed you. This person who had been completely on the outside was now close to the heart of Jesus and left being healed physically and spiritually as well. And when we cultivate gratitude, we can see that reality in our own lives and want that reality for those around us. I'd like to offer us a simple challenge uh, this week. And you can go beyond this week uh, if you want. But this week, for the next seven days, make a note of what you've been given and give thanks along the way. And there's three simple ways we can do it. Uh, John Calvin said, We have short memories in magnifying God's grace. Every blessing that God confers upon us perishes through our carelessness if we're not prompt and active in giving thanks. So our challenge this week is to be prompt and active in giving thanks. Uh, One thing you can do, list what you have to be grateful for in your life and then thank God uh, for those things. Similar to what Brandy and I did accidentally uh, with with our house and, and, and just listed all the benefits of this one particular thing. Do that. Look at your life and what is it that you have to be grateful for. Make the list, write it down, and then thank God for those things. Second, remember... Uh, what you pray for, and then remember to give thanks for answered prayer. You know, we pray so many things, so many prayers of petition. God, please do this. Please help with this. Please heal this person. Please heal me. And, uh, and, and, there, and there is a lot to be grateful for in our prayers. A couple weeks ago, 
we, um, we were in a new dorm uh, in, in the jail and it was kind of chaotic uh, in there and it was, really, it was a really difficult place uh, to do worship services. And so we asked our staff, you know, please pray this week um, that, that we're able to, to end up in a better situation in this dorm because we really want to reach these guys. We're actually put in a dorm where there's, most of the guys don't want to be going to church, but they hear it. And so we had this opportunity uh, to communicate love uh, in, in a really remarkable way. Um, and, and we went in the next week and it was, it was completely different and people were calm and they were listening and it was, it was almost miraculous. Now the guard took credit for it, um, but we almost, uh, we, we, we almost forgot to thank God for it. We've been praying so much for it and we almost forgot to recognize God. Thank you. Whatever, however you did this, thank you uh, that you've given us a voice uh, with these men. So remember what you pray for and then remember to give thanks for answer prayer. And then third, uh, choose a time uh, to be actively grateful. Just to choose a time that, like something you're going to encounter every day and just say, in this time, and maybe you choose a time where you're least likely to be grateful at a stoplight in traffic in the morning on your way to work and think, okay, I'm going to take this time, even though it seems like an eternity, uh, and, and I'm going to, during this time, just list the things that I'm grateful for right now. The things I have to be grateful for in, in, in my home, in my work, and the fact that my air conditioning works in my car for you all, not for me. Uh, and, uh, and, and just actively thank God um, for those simple things. It's not everything, uh, but, it will, but if we're able to cultivate gratitude in little things, then I have confidence uh, that we'll be able to increasingly see um, the big things that God has done for us. And again, increasingly see the world around us uh, with, with, with the tender heart of Jesus. So with that in mind and that invitation, let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are grateful to you. We're grateful that every good thing in our life has its source in you. And that your goodness and your grace is not just something that we receive and then it ends there, but it's something we're invited into. We're invited into your family and we're invited to be your hands and feet to the world around us. Grateful that you let us live lives that matter. I pray that you'll this week, as we engage in, in, in cultivating a grateful response for the little things in our lives, that you'll give us increasing clarity on the big things that you have done for us. The fact that you have offered us of spiritual healing, and we can go well through our lives. And we pray as we do that, as we recognize all that we've been given, that you'll give us hearts uh, that want the same for those around us. And hearts that look at those in difficult and unseemly circumstances, whether by their choosing or the choice of others, that we'll look at them uh, recognizing that they are not uh, the, the objects of wrath, but the objects of your great love. And that they're invited into the same gospel that we live in every day. Help us want for them just as badly the benefit of the gospel of grace as we want it for ourselves. And we pray this all in your holy and precious name. Amen.